Welcome to this week's episode of the Franklin Family Podcast. I'm your host, Margaret Pendo, and today I have the pleasure of introducing you to Nicole Rousseau McAllister. Nicole graduated in 2007 with a degree in history and literature. Currently, Nicole is a general counsel and chief compliance officer for Canal Capital LLC in San Francisco. Throughout her professional pathway, Nicole has gained skills in negotiation review, debt equity agreements, stock purchases, employment, consulting agreements, as well as commercial acquisitions. Basically, she's super cool and I'm very excited to have you here today. Nicole has a plethora of experiences working in different cultures and I cannot wait to hear about it. Welcome, Nicole. Thanks so much, Margaret. I'm excited to chat with you today. Same. I'm super excited. And I'm also from near San Francisco, so I feel like we already have a connection going on. (laughs) A Bay Area connection. Exactly. So let's get into it. So my first question is, you know, when I was looking through your LinkedIn, I was immediately drawn to the fact that you were a parliamentary research assistant in the Palace of Westminster. And I'm curious, you know, how you got involved with that. What was that experience like? Yeah, that was, I think, really one of the most fun, probably, work experiences I've had. Um, I ended up being a research assistant uh, for a member of parliament. He was, he's no longer in parliament, but he was um, a Lib Dem. Um, And it was while, it was after Franklin, and then I did my master's at the London School of Economics. So while I was at LSE, um, I was able to do this work experiment, work experience in parliament. Um, and it, I mean, there was just everything about every day going to work was so cool and different and like such a new experience. Um, I mean, it was interesting working for a Lib Dem because, you know, in the U.S. it's just Democrats and Republicans. We don't have, you know, it's a two party system. We don't have a a third party. Um, So working for kind of that third party or, you know, what would, what would be analogous to a third party um, in parliament was really interesting because they don't have power per se, but they have power on kind of micro power on certain issues where, you know, the government might need to build consensus or something like that. So that was really interesting. And just being in, um, parliament and, um, it's a bill, you know, I mean, I don't even know how it's a thousand years old, you know, it's so old. Um, they have, I remember like my first day, um, the, the kind of my member of parliament's assistant, she took me around and was kind of showing me, you know, where all the offices were. And she showed me the Magna Carta, which it's just like hanging on a wall. I mean, it, it's not, Same. you know, it's, it, it's just like, oh, here's the Magna Carta and here's the cafeteria. And you're <laughs> like, what, what is this? What is going on? Um, so there's just so much history um, in Parliament. And that was um, something, you know, I mean, the U.S. has only been around for less than 300 years. And, and then you're kind of going to... Um, you know, the heart of it when you're in parliament. Um, and I, there were just so many cool things that I, I was in the House of Commons and in the House of Commons, um, everything is green. So the carpet is green, like the dishes in their cafeteria, it's white and they have like a green logo on it or the benches are green. And then if you go into the House of Lords, everything is red. So it's red carpet and the, the chairs are red and um, so it's just a very, you know, stark visual reminder of where you are. And um, yeah, it was just a really fun 
it was a great learning experience and then just kind of culturally and socially um, seeing how different, you know, things were and how different forms of government could be. Yeah, no, that's insane. Like that is so cool. And yeah, what was things it? we just don't think about, I feel like as, you know, I obviously know the American government really well, but being able to really live in another country and see how their government works, um, mm-hmm. it's fantastic. Especially on such an intimate level. Like, that's a really cool insight. And what was the application process like? Was it really complicated, superficial, or was it kind of simple and easy? I mean, well, I'm going to say it was kind of simple, which sort of kills the allure to it. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't completely remember, but it was this program that LSE was running. And so you applied to the program and, you know, you had to put your application materials together. And I think we had to, you know, cover letter, resume, um, you know, letters of recommendation, that kind of thing. And so I had a couple different friends at LSE who weren't in my specific program in my master's program. Um, but they were also applying for this kind of parliamentary internship experience. And so, um, you applied to the program generally, and then, Um, the program would match you with members of parliament, you know, who are interested in taking interns. And then you did have to interview, you know, with that member and just kind of make sure, you know, obviously there was a personality fit. You were interested in, you know, kind of what they were, what they were doing. Some of the members were like on, you know, a healthcare committee, if you were interested in that, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, definitely it was kind of a program run through LSE and it was, when I found out about it, I was like, oh, I absolutely want to, you know, try to do this and, and see what happens. And then it worked out and it was really fun experience. Yeah, no, that's super amazing. And so LSC is the London School of Economics where you did your graduate program. And I'm so immediately after Franklin, you went there. And was that an easy transition, especially, you know, being within Europe or, you know, tell me more about that. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I went to LSE right after Franklin. Um, It was easy, but it was also so different from Franklin. I mean, it was, it was nice still being in Europe. Um, It was nice being in London because I had always loved London. I had always wanted to live there. Um, You still had a really great international um, environment where, you know, I had, I had many friends who um, were not just American, you know, they were from, they were British, um, they were Canadian, um, I had a really good friend from South Africa. So <clears throat> you still met, it had this great international community, international vibe, which Franklin obviously has. Um, but it was difficult because it was so much bigger than Franklin. And I had gotten so used to and so comfortable um, in the Franklin bubble where you really know everybody so intimately. And um, even if that person isn't, you know, you might be an upperclassman and they're a first year, you still all know each other. You still recognize each other. Um, And it was, so that was a hard adjustment at LSE, Um, especially when you're, kind of coming from all over and I was going into a master's program. So you didn't necessarily, um, it wasn't like I had freshers week if I was an undergrad where, you know, the school is really kind of promoting that, you know, class cohesion and gelling. They sort of assume, well, you're master's students, you're graduate students, you don't, you know, you're not going through the same kind of like, 
exciting first week and welcoming. And so um, ultimately it worked out and I made really good friends, but that was um, an initial, you know, kind of adjustment I had to get used to from, from being at Franklin where I knew everybody and, and knew how everything worked and just relearning those things. Yeah. So you got a master's of science in European studies and mm-hmm. I was curious, you know, like what made you want to pursue that? And also just a kind of tangential question, but did you live on, did they have dorms provided or was it you kind of figure it out on your own? Um, no, they did have dorms. Um, so I lived in, um, I lived in Covent Garden, which was really fantastic because you know, it was Covent Garden. Um, and it was probably like a block and a half from LSE. So it was the closest dorm. Um, it was a lot, my dorm was a lot like Franklin in that I lived by myself. You know, I had my own bathroom. I had my own kitchen. It was just like a small studio. Um, so it was, I had, we were just talking about that I lived in Alba when I was at Franklin. And so going to the storm that I had at LSE, it was very much like Alba. It was centrally located. It was a good amount of space, like own bathroom and kitchen, things like that. So um, when I first lived, or, you know, when I first moved to London, I lived in the dorms and then <clears throat> you got a dorm for kind of like the duration of your program. Um, and then I stayed in London for maybe like six to nine months after that. And then um, at that point I had to go find my own apartment and um, that, you know, that was kind of like a process in, in and of itself. It was fun because you got to look at all of these other places, but then it's very much like, oh wow, now I need to find roommates and I've got to pay the leasing agent and I have to, we have to, you know, make our own, make our own gas accounts and all this kind of stuff that you don't think about when you're in a dorm. Yeah, no, definitely. And just kind of going back to, you know, the pathway you chose, which was European studies, what was that like? Were a lot of people studying that that lived around you? Um, and like, what made you choose that specifically for your master's? Yeah, I had, I would say the, the kind of like closest friends I had were either in my program, which was European studies, or um, we had a lot of overlap with another program, which was European political economy. Um, and so European studies that was kind of, I would I'd say that was the socio-anthropological, cultural history of Europe. We spent a lot of, I mean, we spent a year discussing what is Europe. Um, so <laughs> you can go really deep into that. I can. Um, you know, why is Israel in Eurovision, things like that. Um, oh my gosh, that's amazing. So, so uh, it was, it was a lot of what is the concept of Europe? Why is the concept of Europe different from, um, you know, the concept of Africa or the concept of the Americas? Um, so what's the history of that? And then uh, studying and understanding how the European Union works. Um, and then I had mentioned the other program that was very similar to mine, which was um, European political economy. And so they really focused on the EU and a lot of people after that program, you know, went into work with, um, went into EU work, which was ultimately not for me because it was a huge, it's it's a huge bureaucracy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But it was interesting because we, you know, as an American, we just don't have anything um, that's even similar to the EU. Yeah, no, that's, 
I can imagine it can get pretty bureaucratic up in there, but you know. <laughs> and you know, so you you lived in London, you lived in Portland, you lived in Hilversum, and now San Francisco. And so, what what place resonated with you the most? Like, would you say you have a favorite, or are they all kind of special in their own way? That's so hard. I mean, London has, I used to travel to London when I, with my family when I was younger. And so London has always uh, kind of been my perfect city, you know, the place where, uh, you know, if I could do anything and be anything, I would in a heartbeat live in London, you know, forever and ever. Um, But Lugano is also, I mean, it's obviously where Franklin is and Franklin was such a special time to me. And in terms of it's Lugano was really kind of like where I grew up. You know, I came to Switzerland as like an 18 year old who obviously had always lived at home. I was essentially a high school senior, you know, and it's where I grew up in terms of my education and what I wanted to do and kind of figure out my career. Um, But it also was socially and culturally where I grew up. It's where I made some of my deepest friendships. It's where I learned how to really engage in a classroom and, you know, find mentors, um, either, you know, professors or other people in the administration. Um, It's where I made these kind of deep and lasting friendships with people who, um, who kind of shared the same, you know, global vision that I did and who had all of these similar interests, yet, you know, they grew up in Thailand or they grew up in Bahrain or they're from Nigeria. And yet, you you know, we had, um, we were people who wanted to challenge ourselves. We were people who wanted to do something outside of the box, who wanted to be part of this global community. And so I think Lugano is always this kind of, mythical place in my mind it's it's this you know period in time where um i just did a lot of growing up and figuring out who i was and um my place in the world and getting to know other people uh, so it's i mean it's you can't replace that <laughs> no it's true it's very true and how do you like san francisco so far well, San Francisco is where I'm from. So. Oh, right, right, duh. <laughs> so it's, I mean, I, I feel like you're always kind of hardest on the place where you're from. You take it for granted a lot. Yeah, no, for sure. So if I were to meet anybody else and I said, oh, I live in San Francisco, everybody is like, oh, wow, that's amazing. You know, and I'm kind of like, eh, I grew up here. So it's, <laughs> yeah, there yeah. are a lot of amazing things about San Francisco and I take it for granted. And there's probably, few, you know, not really another place in the U.S. I would live. I'm definitely, I'm a born Californian. Yeah. Um, West Coast, West Coast. Um, so, <laughs> but it, yeah, I take it for granted. So. <laughs> No, it happens. When my when I was younger, my dream was to live like in the heart of the city, like walk around town with my you know business outfit on. And- oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's super cool. And also, how did you like living in Hilversum? I had never heard of it before. I was looking into your past. <laughs> Well, that's because it's a tiny Dutch town that probably no one else has heard of. Um, I I went to um, 
So after I graduated from LSE, I went to law school. Um, I went to Lewis and Clark in Portland, Oregon. And while I was there, I had the opportunity um, to do an externship. And so I moved to uh, the Netherlands to work at Nike Europe. Um, and so that was, I was so excited to be back in Europe and be, you know, not only living in Europe, but having exposure to <clears throat> European business culture and how how similar and how different it is from American business culture. Obviously, Nike's, you know, globally, a global brand, globally recognizable. Um, and so seeing how they, you know, addressed some of, addressed the issues kind of with the European sentiment. Um, so their headquarters are in Hilversum, which is like 45 minutes, 30 minute train ride outside of Amsterdam. Um, so I was there Monday through Friday and then kind of spent all the weekends in Amsterdam. Um, and that, <laughs> that was just, just so fun because Amsterdam, you know, not, not unlike Lugano, it's like pretty small. It's a manageable city to get to know. And it's centrally located in a, in a way that Lugano is. I mean, Lugano is like kind of southern Switzerland, Mediterranean centrally located, easy enough to get to, and, and Amsterdam sort of the same way, but kind of in Northern Europe. Um, so it's still, you can take the train to Paris. Um, you can, you know, take flights to Ireland or London or, or wherever, and it's still really easy to travel around and very international too. Yeah, no, Amsterdam is a really, really cool place. Yeah. And so what you know, what originally attracted you to law and like, did working in your internships help solidify the fact that you wanted to go into law or, you know, what, what really set the st stage for you to enter into law? I think when I was growing, you know, when I was growing up, I watched Law and Order all the time and thought, <laughs> as everybody, I think as most lawyers start out, you see, you watch um, lawyers on TV and they just look really cool and powerful and they're so smart and confident um, and presentable. And these were all of the things that I wanted for myself. And so even though I, I definitely had this fictitious understanding of what um, attorneys do, because that's, <laughs> that's not what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, at least. <laughs> um, so I was, that was something I was always drawn to, even before Franklin. Um, and then when I was at Franklin, I was a history and literature major, and it was a lot of reading and a lot of analysis and that, um, and a lot of writing. <clears throat> so I would say that would, that really prepared me for law school. Um, and so going to law school was something I had always thought about, even though, like I said, I had this <laughs> inaccurate, under this glamorous and inaccurate understanding of what being a lawyer actually meant. Um, but so yeah, it was something that was always on the background. I kind of felt like it was my ultimate trajectory, um, even if I was taking these little detours along the way. But then I was also doing things like um, interning at Parliament. So there was obviously a lot of overlap with, you know, government and law and legislation. Um, and even, you know, learning about the EU as well and, and how that was run and organized. So, yeah, no, that's super cool. And one of the, one of the things that interested me a lot was the, your time as a court certified law clerk at the Oregon Department of Justice, because you worked on trial preparation. And I'm curious, you know, like, what does that consist of? What did that look like? 
day to day. That that's probably. I mean, that probably got me closest to the glamorous side of <laughs> of being a lawyer. Even though going to trial is not really that glamorous, it's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's when we think about what lawyers are on TV, that's what we think of, you know, someone standing up and yelling objection in a courtroom and everyone gasping, you know, because something, something dramatic has happened. So that probably got me closest to that, that level of, you know, what, what we associate with being an attorney. Um, But yeah, this is actually before I went to Nike, I, was working at the Oregon Department of Justice. Um, and um, in Oregon, when you're a second year law student, you can have you know, your employer, which for me, it was the DOJ, they can sponsor you to become a certified law student. So you can start appearing in court, um, even though you're you know, not officially, you haven't graduated law school, you're not officially licensed to practice yet. Um, so it's a nice way of kind of <clears throat> supporting law students who one are still trying to figure out what they want to do um, and and just getting exposure to um, to being in court and talking to judges because that is so scary when you're um, yeah. when you're a law student even though <laughs> these people are just normal people but it's you know you kind of build them up in your mind so um, but trial work is it's a lot of you get, you know, your 30 minutes in front of the judge and you spend um, 20 hours preparing for that, depending on, you know, a little bit of an exaggeration, but depending on what it is, you spend so much time actually just sitting at your computer and reading notes or reading statements or going through um, documents which are dry and boring for your 29 minutes of excitement. (laughs) Yeah, no, fair enough. I also feel like in a certain way, I don't know if this also might be my law and order fantasy, but (laughs) (laughs) I feel like when you're at in trial, like there's a certain level of like performance acting in a way, like you have to convey all of the research, you know, into like a way that people can consume the information. And that's, yeah, I think that's 100% true. I think there is, there's obviously an element of you know, I've prepared for this, they know what I'm going to do. I'm very knowledgeable on this subject. And then there's an element of it is a little bit like theater, which is maybe not, (laughs) not a kosher opinion to say. (laughs) But You, you do have to convince other people of what you of your point of view of your argument, whether that's a jury or a judge. Um, And you also have to, um, understand like how you're coming across to people you can't if you just want to be this like arrogant high-powered attorney there is people have a natural reaction to that where they're turned off by it and you could be 100% right but if your personality (laughs) you know you as a person if you're not connecting with people um that is going to be a turnoff and and no one is going to agree with you even if you're 100% right so it, it teaches you a lot of things in in terms of being presentable and being able and being relatable and knowing knowing your audience which is really important and yeah and like super cool i think it's really appealing i feel like every time i talk to people on this podcast i'm like maybe i should do this as a little, you know like, I, I get so you like maybe be a sculptor yeah Next week. Like, why not why not <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so now you're a general counsel and chief compliance officer at Canal um, Capital LLC. What is that like? You know, what is your day to day? How has that changed? You know? Um, I will say I, I love my job and it's really wonderful, but it is not <laughs> the glamorous law and order experience I thought I would have when I was in high school. <laughs> um, so I, I, as a general counsel, I, well, I, um, when I was at Nike, I was working in their legal department. And so I was working with their in-house counsel. And that experience solidified for me that I wanted to be in-house counsel. I wanted to work inside a business. I wanted to know the company I worked for really well. I wanted, I was interested in business. So I wanted, I didn't want to have, um, you know, 50 clients as you would if you were in a law firm. Um, I wanted to have one client and I wanted to know that client really well. And I wanted to, um, craft legal solutions that made business sense because a lot of times you're a business you're working with your attorney and attorneys get these reputation get a reputation of throwing up these roadblocks where uh you know people say oh we're gonna start this new business we're excited to go and then they meet with an attorney and the attorney is like you can't do this you can't do this this is a bad idea you know and so i wanted to be someone who understood the law and understood legal ramifications, consequences, but made business happen. Um, and that was being in house counsel was one way I thought I could do that. So working at, and plus you have a, a better life balance than if you're working at a law firm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, working at Nike really showed me, you know, I want to be in a in-house counsel. You don't want to work at a law firm. Um, and when you're in house counsel, you also have to do, uh, a little bit of everything. There is no telling what legal problem is going to pop up today. And I have to have a base competency to figure out what we're going to do um, or if we need to consult with somebody else or come up with a plan. And so I think when you're in this role as general counsel, it's really exciting because you don't know what's going to come up um, on a day-to-day basis. And you're kind of the, the front line of figuring out how your company is going to handle it, how we're going to address it. Um, and you know, I really enjoy being, being in the room where we make those decisions. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And it's nice too, because I mean, I think unpredictability is something that makes life exciting, you know? So that's pretty fun. Yeah. And then, you know, this is just to kind of you know, sadly close this interview. I was wondering like what memory stands out to you the most when you think back to your time at Franklin? I know you touched a lot about like things that Franklin taught you and, but I wonder if you have like an event or a mountain that you climbed or something that really stands out looking back. Oh my gosh. I feel like that's going to be another 30 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know if I can pick one specific memory because it's, there's just so many that blend together. No, fair Um, But I think just going on academic travel as a whole um, was always such a fun experience because sometimes you'd be with your friends or sometimes you'd just be with people that you're like, okay, well, we all know each other. We're not really friends, but 
I'm a little nervous because I really want to go to, you know, if it's South Africa, I really want to go to Venezuela, but none of my friends are going to be on this trip. Um, and the really, there's so many cool things about academic travel, but you go and when you start kind of day one, you're all kind of like, oh, well, you know, here we are. And then at the end of the trip, you, you know, 10 days, two weeks later, <clears throat> you've had such cool experiences. You've had really great bonding opportunities. Um, you know, you've been woken up at 5 a.m. by the call to prayer in Morocco together. <laughs> you've, you've suffered through so much if you're on a McCormick travel, but in a good way. Um, you know, you've put in these, these long hours with Schlein on a magical bus tour through Europe. You've done all of these things. And you've obviously learned a lot. You know, you've done all that, da-da-da-da. But at the end of academic travel, you usually have these really deep bonds with the people on your trip and you have cool memories and cool experiences. And so I feel like academic travel just always showed me, um, I think I know these people, um, but once you go on travel together, you get to know each other in a, in a whole different way. And most of the time you end up becoming, you know, good friends um, that you may not have necessarily been friends with. Uh, before or you know you would have necessarily chosen to be friends with on your own yeah no it's an amazing integration to not only the local culture but also a, a different culture of Franklin that you might not know necessarily so it's yeah absolutely because you you then get really exposed to other people's culture and how they do things or how they look at things um you know which you just don't necessarily you wouldn't necessarily have on your own so yeah academic so powerful yeah no it's definitely the highlight one of the major major highlights yes <laughs> well thank you so much for being on this podcast it's been super wonderful to get to know you and I really enjoy your life story so far and I'm super excited to see where you go and thank you so much again thank you so much Margaret I love any chance to talk about Franklin so <laughs> of course well thank you bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.